Hello everyone and welcome to another beer review. Now uh, I'm running late with my uh, reviews actually. I'm a bit behind. I'm a day behind unfortunately. Um, just because was it last week I was in Liverpool last week and then yesterday I was in Guernsey so I've just been travelling all about the place and I just not had time to get things kind of edited and put up and things like this. Plus I wanted to kind of get some other different beer reviews done at the same time and I've just been kind of chasing my tail a bit. And I'm also feeling a bit hoarse as you can probably hear or maybe you don't but I must have caught something in my travels because I'm kind of all a bit kind of hoarse in the back of the throat and things like that. So today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing an award-winning, well, a bottle-conditioned award-winning English ale. And it's Constant Brewing Company's Bluebird Bitter. Ooh, lovely. Because, mm, well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I do like a bitter. I do, I do. But yes, so uh, there is some spiel in the back. And of course, this is from Cumbria. Constant is in, in Cumbria, which is right at the very north um, of England. Basically, right up to the border with Scotland. And uh, what does it say on it? Traditionally hand-brewed using only the finest... It's all over the place. Tradition, traditional hand brewed using only the finest selection of hops and malts. So there you go. There's a bit here saying cask and bottle condition, but anyway. Um, which kind of threw me because it didn't go with either of the bloody other statements, but never mind. But anyway, there is some spiel on the back, or the side, really, of the label. So it says, our roots, to pure water, add the finest challenger hops, together with wonderfully roasted crystal and pale malts. The skill and instinctive know-how of Coniston Brewers, Ian Bradley and Rob Irwin, has allowed Coniston Bluebird as a cast conditioned ale to achieve the ultimate accolade, Supreme Champion of Beer, Supreme Champion Beer of Britain, 1998. Best served at 58 Fahrenheit in a straight pint glass at the Black Bull Inn, Coniston Cumbria. Now there you go. So if you really want to taste it and how wonderful it is, then actually go and drink it in the local pub. What was the point of bloody bottling it then, eh? Oh, it's so wonderful if you get it in the cask at the local pub. But we shoved it in the bottle anyway, just in case, you know, you, you couldn't make it. Fucking Jesus, seriously. And Bluebird is a fine session ale with a light golden colour with intense resinous and spicy hop character, which is the beer's hallmark. It is derived from the use of the unusual quantities of English Challenger hops each bill being individually and per personally selected by the brewer. The malt is, of course, Maris Otter, fermented slightly warm to give a soft fruitiness with a faint hint of scented geranium. 
One of the flavours I'd actually really want is, my mum used to grow geraniums, and she used to grow them inside the house, actually, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly the nicest smell, especially off the leaves, the leaves are a bit kind of hairy. Yeah, don't rub the leaves and oh. anyway. <laughs> But anyway, so there you go, so. Bottle conditioned beer contains fine sediment of live yeast, and, uh, it's a 4.2%, it's a 500ml bottle, and it's roughly about £2. There's a surprise. So let's pop it open. Let's go quick. Oh, wow, there we go. Right, let's get this board, and we'll find out what it's like. Let's have a right good sniff of geraniums. Oh, we do like a good sniff of geraniums. Well, according to this brewery, it is. Or we do. There we go. So, as you can see, it's clear, kind of amberish colour. It is quite light for a bitter. And uh, it's about a half finger head. And there you go. It's fairly lively in the old carbonation front. There we go. Can't really see any sediment, but I couldn't really see any sediment in the bottle either. No, nope. but it is very fine sediment. What does it smell of? Well, I'm getting a slight florals, some slight mould, but I'll be totally honest, the aromas are very, very light, very light. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe get a slight hint of wheat in amongst the malt, which people like to describe as, it's got nice biscuity aromas. Yes. No, it's, you should be able to, to don't say biscuit, because that's basically taking two aromas and putting them together. You should be able to identify the aromas separately. As a malt, and there's a slight wheaty kind of greenish smell. Don't bring the two of them together. Oh, yes, that biscuity kind of digestive smell, you know. <laughs> you think, no, no. <laughs> Don't start. No such thing as biscuity blooming aromas because you then you're taking two aromas and mixing them together. If you're going to basically smell it, identify the separate aromas. Don't club them together and try and make something else that isn't there. So... Let's have a taste. Mm. Right. Got a bit of bitterness to it. So it has got a bit of milk to it. It is quite light, but yeah, it's got quite a nice bit of bitterness to it. It's actually not too bad. A little bit of floralness there. Mid tongue going on to the aftertaste as well. So you've got a little bit of floralness there as well. But yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I'd say the level of bitterness is actually quite good because that's one of my big bugbears right now, if you probably hadn't realised with some of my videos, that I have done some bitters so far this year. Apart from the last couple, they just haven't had... I mean, they're calling themselves bitters and you're like, well, where, where's the bitter part? You know, it's like a hint at most. No real discernible kind of bitterness. And again, some breweries get confused between bitter and a kind of sourness. And if you use certain hops, especially the kind of more Americanized hops, and it's more designed for kind of uh, citrus, they're kind of more of a sourness rather than a bitterness. The bitterness reacts differently in the mouth compared to the kind of sourness. The sourness is on the tongue, the bitterness is on the roof of the mouth. It really is that simple. And turning around and, and saying one thing's one thing and one thing's another, and you think, no, 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 no. And then you get a bitter, they've called it a bitter, and there's hardly any bitterness there, and you're thinking, no, no. Really what you've made is a kind of amber ale, really. And not even a particularly good one. And maybe that's why. Maybe maybe you started off making an amber ale. It's not that particularly good. And that's it, but we'll call it better. And, uh, yeah. But, yeah, this isn't actually too bad. Okay, let's break down the flavours. I'm starting to get acclimatised to it now. Starting off, you're getting a nice bit of malt front of the mouth. Nice bit of underlying sweetness there as well. You get a little bit of grain. And it's the case is, don't start off with this biscuity malt nonsense. Because I hate that. That's one of my pet hates. The malt gives a kind of, how would you say it? The malt gives a connection between this kind of underlying sweetness because it's really giving you that underlying sweetness. The underlying sweetness is part of the malt flavour. And I'll be totally honest, if you've ever tasted a malty drink, a malty drink does not taste of biscuit. And this is the thing that always gets me, that oh, malt doesn't taste of biscuit. You can get a malted biscuit and that gives a distinct flavour to the biscuit, but it's not actually providing the biscuit flavour. The biscuit flavours from the roasted grains. Kind of roasted wheats, because you have torrified wheat, all that type of stuff. But yes, you get roasted grains and you get roasted malts. Malts are different from grains because basically the malting process to the grain, which is basically the germinated grains. There you go. Malt and grain are two different things, especially in beer and especially in any type of brewing, including whiskey and spirit manufacturing and everything else. And that's the thing. So when people say biscuity bowl, it really does bug me because at the end of the day, it just shows me either your palate's not refined enough or you're just bloody lazy and you're not willing to basically look and identify the individual flavours. So you're not really concentrating enough. You just, you just tell me you can't be arsed. And I really hate that when you're basically reviewing a beer and you can't split up the flavours. So this has a roasted, slightly roasted grain which gives you that slightly kind of biscuity-esque kind of accents. But then it also has that kind of malty kind of, uh, slightly kind of 
caramel kind of toffee flavoring that's your malt and it links to the underlying sweetness so that's what we're getting at the front of the mouth moves on to the mid tongue the grain flavors die down the malt flavors die down a bit underlying sweetness actually still holds so when that underlying sweetness still holds that means there's still malt flavors there but there's kind of two different parts of it you've got the kind of underlying sweetness and of course you've also got the kind of slightly caramel toffee all that type of stuff and if it's really dark roasted malts you would obviously be getting more kind of like molasses and of course you can get a bit of bitterness with that as well so you can get a trade-off with that if it's a good dark roasted malt you get that kind of molasses treacle kind of sugariness as well that kind of gives you but this is what we're getting is we're getting in the mid tongue lighter malts but they're still there we get the underlying sweetness slightly dissipated ever so slightly and usually backs off in the mid tongue and this is what we're getting we're getting lighter roasted grains but also in the mid tongue we're just getting these little floral accents that we're getting there and near the end of the mid tongue we're just starting to get that little kind of hint of bitterness and the bitterness is on the roof of the mouth not the back of the tongue it's the back of the mouth but on the roof on that fleshy part that you can run your tongue over yeah you're just getting that and just when you put your tongue right to the back of the roof of your mouth that's where you're starting to get that kind of soft fleshy bit at the back that's where you're really kind of getting concentrating now when it moves on to the the aftertaste now this is the thing where you do is you'll get what we call reverb what we call basically it flows over and comes back and you'll notice that when you basically swallow it and you're still getting the sourness but the sourness is starting to kind of move slightly forward so i'll take a sip and we'll describe that nice 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 aftertaste starting to get a little bit more floral in the aftertaste just as it transfers from the basically the mid tongue the bitters is starting to kind of ramp up a little bit at that point when the bitters start to kind of ramp up a little bit which is the hops coming through bittering hops not citrus hops, not souring hops, but bitterness hops, right? And uh, by that point, the malt is really kind of backing off now. You really are starting to kind of dissipate. The underlying sweetness is starting to dissipate. So we're kind of really left with the kind of the bitterness on the roof of the mouth. And on the tongue, we're just still getting them little floral accents there, which is what they're referring to, the kind of geraniums and stuff. But that's where we're getting them. But once you've actually swallowed it, what we do is we get, get, get this overflow or kind of reverb. So what happens is you still get that little bit of bitterness at the back of the mouth and the roof. But what you do is you start getting little bit of kind of streams of bitterness just coming down the inside of the mouth, just down the side of the tongue. And this is what we call this accent bitterness. And this is the normal thing because you usually get accent bitterness at the side of the mouth after the main bitterness is starting to kind of dissipate on the roof. So it basically comes up and down, basically. And it's like, there we go. If it's there, you don't get it coming down the sides. What you do is you'll get it going up the cheeks. If you've got it basically on the tongue, you'll start getting a little bit of bitterness going up the cheeks. And then what it does, it just lingers right in the back of the tongue. Usually if you've got any kind of bitter sourness flavours in the mouth, on the tongue, it usually just sits right just at the back of the tongue. 
may get little rises going up the cheeks, but it just kind of sits there and lingers. Whereas on the roof of the mouth, it doesn't linger, it moves. It moves. So you're getting a little bit in the back of the mouth, on the roof, and little bits down the side of the tongue. And that's what makes bitters very pleasant, because in the cases of the bitterness moves, it doesn't linger. So you still get that nice bitterness, but it's more interesting and more enjoyable because it just doesn't linger. And that's why, basically, when you speak to craft, basically, officially, adults that love it, oh, yes, it's got a lovely bitter finish. No, it fucking hasn't. It hasn't got a bitter finish. It's got a sour finish because it's on the tongue. It's not on the roof of the mouth. It's also stagnant kind of sourness that you refer to as a bitterness. It doesn't move. There's another thing, and it just lingers. And, of course, the more of these type of hops, these citra and citrus-based hops, they just linger and linger, and it just really becomes, to the point is overbearing and, un, I mean, and unpleasant to a certain degree. It's not a nice thing. Whereas bitterness is something different. And there's a refineness to it that I think is underrated and just kind of overlooked. And that's one of the reasons I like it. Because the thing is, though, with a bitter, it gives you the best of both worlds. It gives you that nice kind of slightly toffee, caramel flavours from the malt and the sweetness that comes with it. And then gives you the bitterness as well. But the two of them work well together. There's a kind of that, like I keep saying, the kind of the yin and the yang, if you quote a kind of oriental term. You need the two, and it just gives you that nice balance. But they're not balanced as in balanced all the way through. You get one flavouring at the start, and you're getting one flavouring at the, at the end. And they're, they're miles apart, but they work together because they have that kind of connection. And it, a well-brewed bitter will, will give you that. And this is what I think that uh, the ham-fisted craft beer brigade don't realise when they drink it. They just think, oh, it, it's bitter, it's sour at the end, it's bitter, that's that, it's marvellous. Oh, 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 the lemons, the grapefruits, and oh. And that's the thing. If you bite into a grapefruit, you're not actually really getting bitterness, you're getting a sourness. Because what actually comes with that? It's citrus. So what you do is you get the acidity as well. And that's the thing you get with a lot of these kind of Americanized hops, is you will get a slight acidity change and that's what gives you that sourness helps to give you that lingering sourness on the back of the tongue because the tongue is reacting to the acid there is no ph change in a bitter there's no kind of an, an acidic finish and that's why all these ipas and that oh they're so refreshing because lagers also i mean that's when you get that dry crisp finish that's what you're getting you're getting a slight ph change on the tongue and that's what gives you that. And the people just don't appreciate the kind of nuances within brewing. And yet, hitting something with a hammer, oh, it's going to leave us a hammer-sized dent. And they don't seem to kind of realise that. And I, I just think it's a, a bloody shame. And I think that's why bitters are overlooked, because people aren't really kind of tasting what they're actually drinking and understand what's actually trying to be achieved. And it is. It, it, it's bitter... But there's a subtleness to it, and there's a, a wonderful kind of blend and link from start to finish with a good bitter. And I think people need to understand that. And I think it's a really misaligned and misunderstood traditional beer type that Presbyterianist isn't really that popular nowadays. And it's a shame because it's one of the best. 
that gives you the best of so many worlds and a lot of people just don't realise that. And this was actually quite nice. They were a little watery, but I think again with bitters, people got to understand is one, they're sessionable, so the body still has to be a bit lighter. I mean, sometimes, I mean, quite easy, you can take a bitter and an amber ale. And an amber ale sometimes, well, quite a lot of times, will have more body than a bitter because a bitter is actually more sessionable than an amber ale. And another thing about bitters that people don't seem to realise is if you did made it, you know, with more body, then it would affect the bitterness. And then it would tone down the bitterness. And then what would you do? You would basically start firing in more bittering hops. And the problem is it would be becoming more difficult to try and get the right level of bitterness. And you're thinking, what's really the body bringing to it as well? It has to be sessionable. And usually bitters, even though nine times out of ten they're usually darker than an amber ale. They should be a lot more sessionable than an amber ale. An amber ale's got to be a lot more floral, a lot more body, especially in the mid-tongue. I mean, with a bitter, it's going to give you more at the front of the mouth and more at the aftertaste. And then what it does is it's a transition between the two in the mid-tongue. With an amber ale, that's different. Basically, it works at the basis. It's got a distinctive front of the mouth. It's got a distinctive mid-tongue, and it usually has a distinctive finish. But the finish is nowhere near as strong on an amber ale, or really shouldn't be, as compared to a bitter. And that's what it really comes down to. You've got to think of it. Don't think that all beer has to have body, because that's bollocks. And again, it's also to do with temperature as well. As we've discussed in the comments, and obviously I've mentioned in other videos, is that some beers take a chill better than others, and if you basically um, over-chill a beer, sometimes you can lose a little bit of edge on it as well. Now, a lot of times that will be a little bit of body, but again, don't expect huge amounts of change if you basically up the temperature for, for drinking um, purposes, which of course, what else would you do with a beer? But the thing is, people look too much because it's a darker beer they expect to have especially with a bitter loads and lashings of body well no because it's very sessionable imagine imagine a bitter a good way better to describe it is uh it's like the it's like the lager for beer drinkers you know for ale drinkers really if you, you get tore into it and i can understand why a lot of people don't particularly like the kind of lighter ales you know the golden ales the blonde ales that type of stuff because you're thinking it hasn't got a patch and a good bitter, which is true, it hasn't. A bitter is a different beer from um, golden ales, blonde ales, that type of stuff, and obviously from amber ales. But the thing is, the body starts to build up and you go into amber, and the body's more in an amber compared to a golden ale, and you expect that well, if it goes on to bitter, you should get more body again. No, it goes slightly opposite way because in the middle part isn't really important. It's the start and the finish. That's really the most important part, and just have a nice transition in the mid-tongue. And that's what you should be getting with a bitter. And this is actually quite nice. It really is. I'm actually quite liking it. And it does have a nice bitterness to it. It does, but it also has that nice kind of slightly caramel start to it. 
and you've got a nice bit of roasted grain at the front of the mouth and there's a nice wee underlying sweetness but again it's just there to help with the transition from the front to the back and it's just nice and yeah what would I give this out of 10? Well, there's a question. Ah, what would I give this out of 10? Yeah. Mm. I'm tied between... Yeah, I saw that. I'm going to give it a 7. I'm going to give it a 7. It's actually quite a nice beer. Very drinkable. Very sessionable. Nice and lively. Well brewed. Some nice flavour profiles. And yeah, a good traditional bitter that's actually giving you the right level of bitterness. Giving you a nice start. Nice front of the mouth. Nice transition between the two and the mid-tongue. And just that little bit of floralness as well, which just kind of, again, just gives it that little tweak, which is quite nice. I don't really get any of this kind of fruitiness, um, but at the end of the day, a lot of people will see things. They think sweetness and notes automatically. It's dried fruit, boys and girls. It's dried fruit. <laughs> it's raisins, it's plums, it's dates and all this. Stuff. No, no, it's an underlying sweetness. It's actually coming from the actual malt and it's connected to the slightly caramel flavour that you're getting at the start of the mouth. So I'm sorry, but there isn't any. Um, fruitiness to it so I think that's just a little bollocks and I will call it out as bollocks but it's 4.2% it's 500ml bottle roughly about £2 a bottle it is very nice, I can understand why it's actually won awards before um, it would be nice to have actually tasted it back in the kind of late 90s just to see because there might be a slight change between then and now good chance with the kind of economic downturns over the years and everything else that yes recipes do get tweaked to make them um how would you say uh viable let's be honest uh i'd be very surprised if what's being supplied as raw ingredients is maybe to the same level and from the same supplier as it was way back in the, the late 90s so again you've got to be realistic so what i'm tasting now might not be a shadow of what was actually kind of uh, being put forward and winning awards in the late 90s but yes I would recommend it. if you like a, a better and you like if you can appreciate a better is probably the best way if you can appreciate a better and enjoy the nuances of it then you're a proper beer drinker and you're somebody that really kind of understands the complexities of the beer and how better really fits in to the kind of scheme of traditional kind of beer types. And I think a lot of people kind of overlook it and kind of underestimate how important and how difficult it is to actually make a good bitter. Because it's not that easy. It really isn't. And I, I've brewed quite a lot of bitters uh, over the years. And uh, it's one of the ones I like to go to. It's one of my go-tos to make bitters. And yeah, oh, seriously. You don't get it right. This can fuck up bloody quick. Oh, you really can. And you will get some horrible bloody flavours and really sickening flavours. And Yeah, it's one of the few beer types, if you get it wrong, you've made an undrinkable batch. That That's the best way to describe it. It's, it's very easy to get it wrong. By God, I know. 
I still drunk the bloody stuff because I'm a stubborn bastard. But at the end of the day, you can get it wrong, so you can. So yeah, that's why I appreciate a good bitter because hey, it takes a bit of work, it takes a bit of effort, and unfortunately, a lot of times it's just not appreciated enough. So, thanks for watching. Cheers, and bye for now.